0: This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit lakeerichurch.com. Now here's today's message. We're going to conclude uh, this week. We're concluding our series that we began in the 1st of May uh, on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? There's a question that has dominated my thinking this week and that is this, that the question of why do we follow Jesus? Why are you a follower? Why are you and I following Jesus? Why do we allow ourselves to be identified with Jesus? And everybody's answer may be unique or different and specific to their own life, but they probably fall into a few categories. Some people are followers of Jesus because they're afraid to go to hell. They know that the only way they're going to miss hell is to be a follower of Jesus, so they're following Jesus for that reason. Other people are following Jesus for what they can get out of it. Some people follow Jesus because they like the comfort of being associated with Christians. Jesus said that there are people that, in John chapter 6, He said, some of you, you don't love me. You're only following me because I feed you. Or you're only following me because of the miracles and the signs that you see. Some of you may be followers of Jesus because your parents were. And you just followed in that step none of those reasons are going to get you to heaven. None of them. If that's the only reason that you're following Jesus, none of those are going to get you to heaven. And so I want to finish this morning in part talking about the importance of you clearly and distinctly knowing why you are following Jesus. Because I believe the times demand that I believe that we live in a moment That is demanding that And if we don't have that clear in our heart We're going to be in trouble So let's bow our heads to pray Father there has There is a very distinct understanding That we are a collection of Broken, hurting, needy people. Everybody in this room, everybody watching and listening to me right now have their own specific challenges in life. But all of them lead us back to you. All of them them lead us back to the cross. And Lord, as we open up your word today, I just pray that it will powerfully And personally penetrate our hearts and lives today this is a message that must be preached it's a message that must be heard and so I pray for the strength and the energy and the ability today to do what you have put in my heart and I pray that there would be an openness and a receptivity to the Word of the Lord today I pray against every spirit of fear anxiety trepidation that would be in the heart of any person hearing this message today, but that, Lord, our our hearts would reach out to you and renew our deepest commitments to your name and to your cause. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You and I live in the most unique of times. Evil is everywhere, increasing every day. The result of sin and sinful choices and evil desires that are now creating a world that is literally killing itself in the streets. And more and more it is hostile to the questions of morality and holiness and righteousness. If there is any good news in what I just said, it is the fact, as Adam read that Jesus predicted that this would be the way it would be in the days before the coming of the Lord. And I've come this morning to tell you that I believe with my whole heart that you and I are living in the final moments of life on this earth as we know it. It is altogether possible that Jesus may come before I finish this message. It is possible that Jesus may come before you go to bed tonight, before you go to work in the morning. That's how near we are to the coming of Jesus. You say, well, how can you make such a statement? I suggest it for several reasons. One of them is spiritual. That we now live in a world that is more secular than ever, believes less in God, and is more hostile to issues of faith. I saw evidence of this a couple of weeks ago. A young lady in our church who was going to Ecuador had sent out some letters to individuals in her life that uh, she was going to Ecuador and she was trying to raise sponsorship money to pay for her way. And to one of her teachers in one of the local colleges here in our county wrote back to her the most vicious and ugly response that I've ever read to a child receiving from an adult regarding her request for money to go to Ecuador. She basically wrote, and I asked for permission, and this young lady's given me permission to pull bits and pieces of this, but she wrote back to this child and she said, I would encourage you to start now refraining from using language that is religious in your communication. I would suggest that you quit talking to professors about faith unless you decide to transfer to a religious institution. What is certain and what you must understand is that Lakeland College is a public and secular institution of higher education. You cannot impose your belief on the students and faculty of the school. Now what I said to that, Teenager, I said, forget her. I'm not calling her name and I'm not picking a fight. I just said, forget her. Jesus said when people do that, just shake the dust off and move on. But this is the world in which we live. I said to her, I said, if you had written and said, I'm going on a humanitarian effort then they would have been fine with that. But the fact that you said you wanted to tell people about Jesus infuriated this faculty member who has influence over children. It's the world where you and I live. Jesus said this is the way it's going to be. If you remember what Adam read? They will hate you because you're my followers. They will hate you. Didn't say they would be disappointed. Didn't say they wouldn't like you. said they're going to hate you because you are my followers. I say the coming of the Lord is close because economically we are living in a very fragile world. The financial landscape of this country and this world is so fragile that a few banks default and the whole market goes crazy. And it will not be long, believe me, trust me, it will not be long until some smart person will step up and say what we need to stabilize the economy of the world is a central monetary system. The Bible calls that the mark of the beast. A one world system for finance that would consolidate the riches of this world and stabilize the economy. I say that we're living in the last hours of this world because prophetically, according to scripture, we see the nation of Israel is completely surrounded on all sides by its enemies. China and Russia are now aligned. Iran is partnered with Russian military might. How long before there is a direct attack on Israel that ushers in Armageddon? It's not that far away. You and I are living in the last hours. America, a country that once was the beacon of faith and hope, a country founded on the principles of faith, and Christianity no longer acknowledges God. We are in a moral quagmire that is so disgusting in this country that television is no longer watchable. Schools are overrun with political agendas, and families are broken. Pastor Naomi tells me miss emily uh, miss elizabeth tells me that in some of the classrooms in our own preschool that many of the children don't have their biological parents involved anymore there is a brokenness in this world listen to me church these are the last days which makes the understanding of what it means to be a follower of jesus very important And the passage that was read in Mark 13 is especially important because it helps me to realize that those who are followers, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ are are committed to a different life than the life that is going on in this world. Look at the things that Jesus said in the passage. He said, you're going to start noticing some things when we get close to the end. When you start seeing the fulfillment of all this, you're gonna know that it's close. He said there would be wars in all kinds of places Ukraine, Sudan, North Korea's itching for a fight, the Arab Israeli conflict, just those prominent ones. He said there would be earthquakes in many places. I was shocked. I looked this up. I didn't believe it. There have already been 4,600 earthquakes in the world since January 1. 13,000 earthquakes last year. 600 of those devastating, causing light, loss of life. He said there would be famines. Famines. According to the World Health Organization, 10 countries in the world, 350 million people on the planet live in places of famine. 40% of the world is considered in the midst of severe drought. These are all the things that Jesus said you would notice that would indicate to you that we live in the last days. But he goes on, didn't he? If you were listening already, he said, you're going to be accused... And brought before civic and religious leaders because you are my followers. Now I grew up in America. I was born and raised here. I've only known America. I've traveled all over the world. But America is where I live. And we have known in America so little religious persecution that it is difficult for some of us in this room to be able to put our mind around what it would be like for someone to put a gun in our face and say, if you don't denounce Jesus, I'm going to blow your brains out. Like the 50 Egyptian Christians who were marched down to the Red Sea a couple of years ago. And there on national television in Egypt they were told either you denounce Jesus or we cut your heads off. And all 50 had their heads taken off right there on national TV because they would not renounce the Lord. Religious persecution is more prevalent than ever before. But persecution doesn't always mean physical harm. It means laws and regulations about practices of faith. In the name of equality and fairness, we are stripping away everything about religious freedom in our country. We don't pray in our schools anymore. We don't pray in public sporting events anymore. With a religious discourse in the marketplace, is discouraged. We're told often, you can have your faith, I'll have my faith. You can't talk about your faith without discounting mine. And we live in a world that has walked away from God. And Jesus said, this is how you'll know that the end has come. So whether in persecution or whether in some other area, every follower of Jesus is forced to answer the question, is following Jesus worth it? A number of years ago, I was in an evangelism symposium in Atlanta, Georgia. And through the means of technology, they put on the screen a missionary that was in a country. We were not even told what country, but obviously when I tell you this story, you're going to figure out about where he was. And he was telling us about how difficult it was to preach and teach about Jesus in some countries because of their laws. He said that he and his wife had begun a Bible study for small, for for young girls in their home. And once a week these girls would come and they would teach them about Jesus in uh, in their home. And he said one day at the end, at the end of the Bible study while he was putting the tables and chairs up, a young Muslim girl came back into the room. She was 13 years old and she said, Pastor, I want to ask you a question so what's the question baby she said I get what you're doing and I think I understand that for the Christian girls that are in the room their parents are going to be thrilled that they love Jesus and the Jewish girls that are in the room their parents may not be that comfortable with Jesus but they do appreciate that their daughters have faith but for me In my context, in my family, the way I was raised, if I do what you're asking me to do, if I make a decision for Jesus Christ, my family will disown me. They will go down to the courthouse and they will remove my name from the county record. It will be as if I had never existed. They will shun me. I'll never be invited to a birthday party or a family event. I'm willing to do it. But I need to know, Pastor, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Just last week I sat in a restaurant here in our community and I talked with a pastor who told me the tragic story of a young man who had come to his church out of a different culture and had given his heart to the Lord and made a decision for Jesus Christ, was baptized in water and was told by his family, You are never again welcome in our house. You will never again attend another function that we have. We don't know you. We don't care about you. And I said to the pastor, how is he handling He said, well, of course he's broken. But he said Jesus was going to be his family. Jesus was going to be his life. The point I'm trying to make is that sometimes we... So casually assume that just because we come to Lake Erie Church, just because we have a Bible that we read, just because we know the stories of the Bible, that somehow or another that makes us a follower of Jesus, but it doesn't. It doesn't. There were lots of people that followed Jesus around in the hillsides and listened to him preach, but they were not his followers. They were people that ate the loaves and the fishes, watched the miracles, and then went back home and continued in their own way. And I worry so many times that there are people who come here that may get the wrong impression that somehow or another what we're talking about when we say, I choose Jesus, when we say, I'm sorry for my sins, is some casual little walk in the park. But it's not. It is a, a decision for your life for your future, for eternity. And it requires you to understand that it is not something to be entered into casually. I want to offer you two statements and then we'll be done. Here's the first one. Followers of Jesus must be prepared to endure hardship. Mark chapter 13 makes this point so vividly that those who choose to follow Jesus are going to be those who could, in fact, suffer hardships. Jesus not only says that it's a possibility, he basically says it's a guarantee. James chapter 1, James said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now you're going to find this odd, but I believe it. It's the reason I put it in my notes. Something good happens to us when we suffer. Something good happens to you when you suffer. Because if you didn't have trials and tests in your life, some of you would never pray. Some of you would never lean into God. Some of you would never go to church. It's in those trials, in those difficult moments. That you come to treasure who Jesus is. And you begin to hold dear in your heart everything that you learn about God in the darkest places of your life. It's when your life was coming apart, when you were going through hardship, when you were suffering, that you learn to value God's word. You learn to appreciate the faithfulness of God. You learn the security of knowing that I am loved by God no matter what I'm going through. Because when we live in periods of prosperity, we get lazy. And we take things for granted. Hardships produce something in us, according to Romans chapter 3. It should be on the screen. Verse 3, he said, More than that, we rejoice in sufferings. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? I'm so glad I've got the flu. Rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One of my favorite verses, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, Moses says to the children of Israel, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you. And testing you to prove your character. To find out whether or not you would obey His command. The Bible is very clear that temptations do not come to you by the hand of God. God is not tempted with evil, the Bible said. And neither does He tempt any man. But He does allow things to happen in your life that test the character of your commitment... To Jesus. He does permit you to go through places in order that He may be able to determine whether or not you truly are a follower of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we stood around the front here and we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus, and we said, If none go with me, still I will follow. Just like the young man that I talked about in one of the neighboring churches here who made the decision and was ostracized by his family. If nobody goes with me, I choose Jesus. If nobody supports my decision, some of you students sitting here, maybe you grew up in a home and you're not getting much support at home. You don't have parents that are encouraging you to serve the Lord. Maybe you're married to a man that's not encouraging you in the Lord. Maybe you're married to someone who's making it difficult for you to follow Jesus. But the Lord says you have to decide that you will follow, though none go with me. The fact of the matter is that Jesus is worth it. He is worth the hardships. He is worth the difficulty. He is worth the struggle. Here's the second and final statement. That as followers of Jesus, we recognize that the world will not accept us. We recognize that the world will not accept us. And isn't it crazy how much we try to get the world to like us? We try to make peace with the world. We try to find ways to bridge the gap because we want the world to like us and Jesus said, they never will. They never will like you. They're never going to be on your side. They will never receive you because you are my followers. Now one of the things that I've appreciated in the weeks that I've spent studying this is that Jesus did not shield his disciples from this reality. He never tried to say, well, I hope it works out for you because you may. No, he didn't do that. He said, go into this with your eyes open. They will hate you because they hate me first. You know, it's so strange to me, so strange to me how offensive the name of Jesus is to some people. I was invited not too long ago to pray in a ceremonial thing, but I was told, you cannot mention the name of Jesus. What is up with that? What kind of prayer doesn't mention the name of Jesus? And what is wrong with the name of Jesus? And I'm not... You know, I'm one of those guys that I can always think of the really important things that I should have said when the conversation's over. I'm in my car going, I wish they were sitting here right now. I've got a thing or two I'd tell them. You like that? I wanted to say in that moment, now my my brother over here, are you going to let him invoke the name of Muhammad? you got no problem with that. What's so offensive about the name of Jesus? But Jesus predicted that. And this isn't to create a hostility that causes us to go out in the world and be evil and vile. No, the Bible said we're to love even our enemies. That's what makes Christianity work is that in a hostile environment, we still love the people that don't like us. We still care about people. We still feed. We still care and love and provide for those that would not give a rip for us. The truth of the matter is, if you decide to serve the Lord, you just have to get ready for the fact that there are going to be people that resent that. During the National National Day of Prayer, I was invited to come to the fifth floor of the Lake County Administrative Offices. About 25 Lake County pastors were in the room. I was privileged to be there. We prayed for over two hours together. It was a powerful moment. A couple of the city commi- the county commissioners were sitting there with us along with some other county employees and I was shocked to be told how hard it was for them to get approval For us to pray in that room. But it took weeks and months. And and, and debating and carrying on. And swapping favors. So that a group of area pastors could pray in a public building. In fact I was told that the words with God all things are possible. On that wall are only there because they are part of the Ohio State motto. That no biblical references were allowed in a public building. It's what Jesus said. Don't be surprised if you find yourself as a follower of Jesus in places of persecution, misunderstanding, condemnation, unacceptance, hostility, and oppression. Paul wrote, To young Timothy and the church at Ephesus, and he said, Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Every Christian, sooner or later, will probably have to endure some sort of persecution. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's physical, but it's going to be some form of persecution. Because as the days get more evil, There is more open hostility to faith than ever before. It may be physical violence. It may be legal or financial pressures. You know, there are banks. We went through this when we bought this building. There are banks that will not do business with churches. And when I inquired as to why they would not want to do business with Christian people, I was told it's not politically advantageous for us. It puts us in an adverse situation. Now that was one moment when I did speak my mind and I said, well, I'm going to go back and tell all of my Christian people who have deposits in your bank. Do I act like I'm mad this morning? I'm not mad. I can only imagine what Shelly's going to say when we get in the car in a minute here. Christians losing their jobs, having to take a pay cut or being demoted or not promoted because they're believers. Students dealing with hostility in schools, being failed from school are encouraged to go somewhere else. Some of you have made that decision because of the condition of some of the things going on in schools. You've made a conscious and probably painful decision to remove your children from a public school. And it's just the world that we're living in. Loss of property and possessions, threats of intimidation. I was thinking about my grandfather. I wish some of you had had the privilege to know my grandfather. He was such a fiery old guy, he only had a fourth grade education, couldn't read anything except the Bible, really. And he was a church planter, and he had this big tent and this trunk, and he would go from town to town through. Ohio and Virginia and Michigan and North Carolina and he'd plant churches and they'd start a tent meeting. Well, actually, they would start having church on the street and then when they'd gather a crowd, they would then put the tent up and then after they had enough people come and he would call for a pastor to come and he and my, mother, my, my grandmother and my dad and my uncles, they would move on to the next town. But he told me he was in Wall Lake, Michigan in the 40s and 50s trying to plant a church up there And the chief of police came by and said, Hey, listen, we're not going to be able to let you have church out here. He said, Well, I'm so sorry. This property belongs to one of our members. He said, It don't make any difference who it belongs to. We're not going to allow Christians to have meetings out here. We don't want any Pentecostal churches. We don't want any tongue talkers in our town. And uh, my grandfather said, Well, I am so sorry. I didn't realize there was a, a restriction on faith in town. I wasn't told that when when I requested permission to hold a street service. He said, well, just, just understand, I, I run the police department here, and you're not going to be allowed to have church here. He said, well, what if I do? He said, if you do, then you're going to regret it. And Dad said, My granddad said, well, I'm not sure what that means, but uh, go ahead and get ready, because we'll be having church at 7 o'clock tonight. <laughs> and when church is over, and they got ready to leave my grandmother and grandfather got ready to go out the car they opened up the car and there were rattlesnakes in the floorboard of their car he told me he said sonny boy you you know who put those rattlesnakes in there I said "I, I guess somebody the chief of police knew he said that's right and he said it was just their way of saying you're not welcome here do you know what Jesus said he said I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never stop the church I always think about that when I go by. There's a a great church in Wallach, Michigan. My grandfather was a part of getting that church started. Verbal abuse. Christians mocked and slandered and falsely accused, lied about, cursed, called names. People who try to trap us or twist our words in order to shame or embarrass us or make us feel guilty or discredit us in the worldview. Socially ostracized. Friends and family members or loved ones refusing to associate with us because we are believers. What am I saying? I'm saying don't walk out of this building this morning thinking that following Jesus is easy. Don't assume that just because you said I choose Jesus that your life is going to be rosy. That you're not going to have hard times. That you're not going to face difficulties. Listen again to what Adam read. He said, brothers will betray his brother to death. Your brother. Your brother will betray you and you'll be killed, he said. Fathers will betray their own children. Children will rebel against their parents and cause their parents to be killed. Followers of Jesus. So where is the hope? Peter writing to the exiled believers in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, worship the Christ, of your, the Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone should ask you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do so in a gentle and respectful way. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Pastor Jerome, come on. I know I have dropped a truckload of stuff on you this morning. I've been carrying this now for a month, knowing this Sunday was coming. But I want to make sure that when you say that you love the Lord with all of your heart, and you are committed to the Lord, that you have literally counted the cost. Jesus said, count the cost. Don't be like the man who starts a project and can't finish it because he didn't count the cost. He said, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow me. Two weeks ago, Olivia read, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Because the cost of following Jesus is high. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who won't take a stand. It doesn't mean that you're mean. It doesn't mean that you're ugly. But it means that you are committed to follow Jesus. And I'm not trying to be sensational when I say this. But if this ends up being the last message I ever preach publicly, I want you to know that your commitment to Jesus is worth it. It's worth it. Whatever you have to go through, whatever you have to endure, whatever you have to suffer, whatever your call in life may be, following Jesus is worth it the ones who follow Jesus will be the ones who truly win some of you know my personal story my personal journey my first wife died of cancer in 2011 when I was wrapping up the thoughts for this I was thinking about a day when the doctors had told us that there probably wasn't any much more they could do I remember sitting in that space with her and trying to imagine what it was going to be like to go forward from that moment forward. and I found myself apologizing I'm so sorry so sorry you've suffered so much. I'm so sorry you've gone through all of this. I would have wanted to have taken that from you. I'm so sorry. And in that moment, she looked me in the eye with tears running out of her eyes, and she said, you listen to me. Listen to me well. It may not feel like it at this moment, but we are there. we win for some of you that are sitting in this room this morning you may wonder sometimes if it's been worth it the struggle and the years and the sorrows and the difficulties and the pain that you've gone through you wonder if it's worth it I would remind you Paul in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4 of 2nd Corinthians he says we fix our eyes on the things that Cannot be seen. Not the things that we can see, because the things that we can see are temporary. The things that we cannot see are eternal. So you listen to me. Heaven is real, there are streets of gold. We will live forever. Jesus died for eternal life and we will live forever. This life is temporary. I feel the presence of the Lord in this room. This momentary experience is that you're going through. Some of you sitting here are battling your own cancer. Some of you've got disease Some of you have lived through horrible situations in your home. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have been neglected. Some of you have been taken advantage of. Some of you have been unloved. Some of you have suffered deeply in ways that I could never fully appreciate because I don't know your story. But hear me. There is a God who keeps a record. He knows where you are. And as I said last week, He sees you. He sees you where you are. He sees the torment that you've gone through. And Jesus said, he won't forget it. And you're going to win. Your commitment to Jesus, you are going to win. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.